So um, good morning everyone. Today we're continuing our series in Matthew's Gospel and we've come to chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel. If you've got your Bible, you might, might want to start flipping across to that. Um, but Matthew's Gospel is an account of Jesus' life and it's detailing some of the things that Jesus did, some of the things that Jesus said and some of the things that Jesus taught. And it's a life-changing book which has been changing and impacting lives for many, many, many generations. Last week, Raj showed a really helpful video, which kind of showed where we're up to at the moment within this book. Um, so go back and listen to that if you like. And today I'm going to be speaking about some of the parables that Jesus talks about in chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel. And in case you didn't know, a parable is a story with a hidden meaning. All right. So it was a little bit like Jesus talking in code to people. So for some people, uh, Jesus was making truths available so that they could understand what he was saying. Okay, for other people, Jesus was concealing truths so they wouldn't be able to understand what he was saying. So to put it simply, a parable is um, an everyday story with a spiritual meaning. All right, it's an everyday story with a spiritual meaning. Jesus was speaking about spiritual things, but he was doing it in a way that people would understand. And it was a very popular way of Jesus teaching. One third of all of the teaching that Jesus does was in the form of parables. So Jesus loved this idea of telling stories. He wanted people to be able to relate to what he was saying. And this idea of telling stories um, to people and, and telling parables is something that we still do today. It's quite a modern way of talking to people. So like most nights when I'm putting my kids to bed, I'll tell them little stories that I make up from my head. And what I'll do is I'll put characters and things in there so they can understand. So in my house, it's usually Paw Patrols and princesses. And I'll tell them stories with things that they can understand. So last night, I was telling Ezra about not jumping on his sister's head. And I was doing it using the parable of the Paw Patrol who jumped on his friend's head. Okay, so even today, we still use parables, all right? And um, stories keep us gripped, don't they? Stories get our interest. Stories help people to understand the real meaning behind different stories. So as we go through these stories today, I want you to try and pick out what you think they might be saying to us today as we listen to them in 2022. All right, so if you've got your Bible, let's go into Matthew 13, and we're going to read the first one, which is verses 1 to 9. This is the parable of the sower. So that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood on the shore, then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where they produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. All right, let's look at this first parable. This is called the parable of the sower, and it's one of the most famous parables that we find in the Bible. It's also talked about in Mark's gospel and um, Luke's gospel as well. And it was a way of Jesus talking about different responses to hearing his message. All right, Jesus was using the analogy of farming, but the real thing he was talking about was people hearing his message. 
And within this message, Jesus is talking about seed, and the seed is his word, and the soil is the different people who hear his word. So the first um, type of person, type of response we have is the path. And this is where the birds came and pecked the soil. And this would be relating to people who literally don't want to hear anything about the gospel. People who completely close up when you mention the J word. Has anyone met people like this before? It's those people, maybe friends, family members, colleagues, who won't even hear you talk about Jesus. The second example is the seed that falls on rocky ground. And the seed begins to grow a little bit, but it's got nothing to connect to. It doesn't grow because it's got no way of getting its roots down. And this could be referring to people who hear the gospel message and take a little bit of an interest. Like, they're not anti-gospel. They're not going to, you know, shut you down like the first group of people. They might listen to you. They might even come on Alpha sometimes. They might come along and listen. But they won't get rooted down. They'll never make that commitment. The fruit will never grow. Okay? And in many respects, this can be the most frustrating group of people, can't it? Because they let you talk about Jesus all day long, but they never do anything with it. Have we all met people like that before? Absolutely. And then Jesus talks about the seed which falls amongst the thorns, where the plant begins to grow, but then it's choked by the thorns. And this is an example of people who respond to the gospel, become Christians, um, but then they might walk with God for a little bit, but then their life kind of takes over and they get choked out by the things of this world, the worries and the stresses. Maybe they don't fully commit to Jesus. Maybe they've still got one foot in the world, one foot searching for money and success. Maybe they've got one foot in a, a relationship which isn't right for them. You know, they, they keep one foot out and they end up getting choked by the things of the world. They end up getting distracted and then they end up falling away. I'm sure we've all met people like that, right? And then finally, of course, we've got the good soil, the people who hear the good news and who grow as a result. Now, why was Jesus telling this story? Well, in terms of the original hearers, Jesus is saying that they themselves, the people listening to him, would have a decision to make on how they received his message. Either they become the good soil and receive his message, or else they don't. And as we saw throughout the Gospels, there was different responses to Jesus, wasn't there? From the people who wanted to crucify him, to the people who gave up everything to follow him. Jesus would have been saying they've got a response to make. And today for us, in 2022, there can be a couple of meanings behind this. It could be about us reaching out to others. And this is the way that I find most helpful. This is the best way of looking at this story. See, as Christians, we're called to go out into the world and spread the seed, aren't we? We're told to go out into the world and share the gospel. And Jesus is helping us here by telling us about some of the different responses that we might find. He's saying, when you go out and preach my word, when you go out and reach out to others, these are some of the responses that you might find. And the key thing to remember from this story is that as Christians, we have to sow a lot of seeds. We have to sow a lot of seeds. We have to talk about Jesus a lot. That's what we're called to do, all right? We need to be talking about Jesus in lots of different situations. We need to be passionate about evangelism. We need to be passionate about sharing our faith. We need to be prepared to do that as well. We need to be prepared to share our faith with other people when the time comes. As it says in 1 Peter, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have. 
we need to be prepared to share our faith with others. And we talked about this a lot last year, didn't we, when we did our Frontline series. We talked about being prepared to share your faith with others. We need to spread the gospel everywhere. And Jesus encourages us here and he's saying that there will be different responses. Some people will point blank refuse to hear it. Some people might follow for a little bit. Some people might fall away. We need to be prepared, but he's saying keep spreading the seed. Even if you get different responses, keep sharing your faith. That's what he's saying, keep going with it. Okay, because we have to be confident that sometimes the fruit will come. Sometimes the seed will land on good soil and people will become followers of Jesus. We need to have confidence in the gospel, don't we? This is what Bible teacher Phil Moore says. He says, a few radical converts is all it takes to transform the world. One genuine convert at a time. That's true, isn't it? It just takes a couple of radical believers to go out and share their faith with others. And suddenly we see more and more people come to know Jesus. Now the other way of looking at this parable as believers is actually asking the question, how is the seed, how is the gospel, how is the kingdom rooted in your life? How is the message being received in your life? As Jesus says at the end, are you producing fruit? 50 30, 100 times more than we see. Are you producing fruit? Has the gospel changed anything in your life? Is there a positive outcome? Are you seeing people saved around you? Are you confident about sharing your faith? Or are you like the weeds in the path? Has nothing really changed? Have you still got one foot in the world? Are you still burdened by the challenges of life? That's a challenge for us though, isn't it, from Jesus? That's the first story, the parable of the sower. Let's go back to our Bibles and look at the second one. This is the parable of the, re- of the weeds. Let's read together verses 24 to 30. We'll skip a few in the middle. So Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? When, uh, where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, Do you want us to go up and pull them out? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them as well. Let both grow together until harvest. And at that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So that's our second parable today. And again, this time Jesus is talking about his kingdom again, but he's talking about opposition and difficulties faced by those who accept his good news. He's saying that when we accept his good news, we are going to face difficulties and opposition. And this time, rather than the seed being the good news, the seed is us as Christians. And the field, Jesus later goes on to tell us, is the world. Okay, so where the seeds going out into the world. So what Jesus is saying here is that his followers will be placed into the world, but inevitably we're going to face opposition. Yeah, Jesus will send us out into the world, but we will face opposition will face difficulties from the enemy. We know that, don't we? It says in Ephesians 6 that our um, struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world. So it's not just about things of this world. We've also got an enemy who wants to oppose us as well. And in telling this story, Jesus is reaching right into the understanding of the Jewish people at the time. Because the example that he gives is something which would quite often happen in Jewish culture. If two people were having a dispute or an argument, um, uh, as a way of getting one over on their enemy, someone might go and sow some weeds in amongst their crops. Which, on the face of it, is pretty snakish, isn't it? Like, I'm just thinking about the first person to ever think of that. It's like an evil genius level of snakery. Like, wait till he goes to sleep and then sow some weeds in there. Like, I shouldn't laugh, but I'm a bit jealous I didn't think of that. (laughs) So the example Jesus gave was quite a conceivable one. And there are a couple of things that we can pick pick out from this story. First of all, and maybe most encouragingly, is this. We can be confident that the church will grow. We can be confident that Jesus' church will grow in this world. Jesus would later go on, actually, a couple of chapters later, to say that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church will grow. Using this analogy, Jesus is saying that the seeds will grow and turn into crops. And we can be confident of that. Despite what's happening in the world, the church will grow. That's something to take encouragement from, isn't it? And that's something that we see in the world. At the moment, uh, we continue to see growth, um, especially in places where there's opposition to the church. Think about places like um, China or the Middle East or parts of Africa or South America where there's opposition to the church. We're seeing the church thrive and grow. Think about the UK as well. We're seeing new believers coming through here in the UK. Think about Jubilee. We've got new people coming to know faith, coming to know Jesus here in our church as well. On our recent Alpha course, we had people who decided to follow Jesus. The gospel will produce growth. The church will continue to grow. We will see new believers. That's what Jesus is promising in this parable. But there's a warning here as well. Jesus is saying, just as the church will continue to grow, the darkness will continue to grow as well. In this story, the weeds will grow alongside the wheat. We can expect to see difficulties and opposition. It's something that we should expect to see. We should expect the enemy to interfere with us. Something we should expect to see. Okay, now I'm sure you all caught up with the Oscars at the weekend and the controversy with the now infamous Will Smith slap. Did you all see this? There it is. We all, we all saw this. Um, it was uh, all over the news this week. But what you might have missed was a genius bit of biblical wisdom from none other than the great theological mind of Denzel Washington. Did you hear about this? Okay, so moments after his outburst, Will Smith's outburst, um, Denzel Washington took him to one side and gave him a good bit of biblical advice, a good bit of spiritual advice. He says, at your highest moment, be careful, because that is when the devil comes for you. At your highest moment, be careful, because that is when the devil comes for you. And it's so true, isn't it? It's like when the church grows, when we see through, when God is on the move, the enemy will not like it. We will see opposition. And Jesus is telling us in this story to expect that. He's saying, yes, one day we'll see the wheat separated from the weeds. We'll see judgment. We'll see justice. But in the meantime, 
we'll see opposition. Things will be tough for us at times. We may see suffering and pain and darkness in the world. That's a given. That's something we should expect to see. And the weed that Jesus is talking about here is something called darnel, which is interesting because darnel is a weed that looks very similar to wheat. So the, the darnel and the wheat will grow together and it'd be very difficult to tell them apart. You wouldn't actually be able to tell them apart until the harvest time, okay? They'd look very, very similar. So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that there's going to be bad things that look like good things. There's going to be things that are plans of the enemy that look like plans of the kingdom. There's going to be things that are dark that look like things that are light. And we see that around us in the world, don't we, at the minute? Like, is this, like, one of the things I always think is there's this feeling, certainly amongst people in my generation, that it's generally positive or acceptable to be spiritual, even if you don't really have a faith. Like, you've heard this, haven't you? Like, you can be spiritual. You don't have to be Christian. You don't have to have any belief system, but, you know, um, you can just be spiritual. And on the face of things, that makes sense. Like, you might do good things. You might love others. You might give to charity. You might be a peaceful person. You might stand up for those on the edge. You might give to charity. You know, you know, a lot of the things you do might be good and might look right, but ultimately, it's not God's kingdom. It looks good, but it's not good. You see that? That's what Jesus is saying, that we should expect that. And that's why as Christians, it's so important that we keep preaching Jesus. We keep our eyes focused on him. There'll be distractions There'll be things that look good or look acceptable or look Christian even. On the surface, like the weeds, it'll be difficult to tell them apart. But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus rather than the weeds. And this doesn't mean that we come, become religious, by the way, and you know, we get hard hearts. It just means that we keep on preaching Jesus and not the passing things of this world. Right, there's a challenge in this for us, isn't there? So that's the point of this second parable. God is going to take his believers, place them in the world, and watch them grow, and watch them reproduce. But as believers, we need to have an understanding that we will face opposition. Okay, let me quickly touch on the next two parables. By the way, if you've got your Bibles, you can be following along here. If you don't have a Bible, shame on you. We've got some on a desk outside. Bring your Bible to church, okay? I'll keep telling you every time I preach, bring your physical, actual paper Bible to church, all right? I don't want to see no iPhones, okay? So let's uh, carry on in uh, Matthew's Gospel. We see two more parables in here that we're just going to quickly touch on. Um, first of all, we've got the parable of the mustard seed, and, uh, and we've also got the parable of the yeast. And the story of the mustard seed is about the kingdom of God starting extremely small, but then growing to be huge and influential, and we saw it, didn't we? We saw a group of believers in an upstairs room in Jerusalem, scared, frightened. That was the first church. And suddenly now we see billions and billions of believers across the world. Something small becomes influential. The second parable is the parable of the yeast. And this is a bit about the hidden aspect of the kingdom of God, sometimes unseen, but still working. And interestingly, with the parable of the yeast, um, yeast would have been quite a negative thing, a negative symbol in Jewish culture. It wouldn't have been a positive thing. So on the face of it, Jesus is using, uh, he's describing his church in a way that they would have found negative, okay, and a bit 
off-putting. But, you know, in a way that makes sense because actually that's what the church is. The church is full of people who are undesirable, isn't it? It's full of those on the edge of society. It's full of those that the world would say, yeah, you, you don't belong here. But those are the people that are called to make up the church. So yes, the idea of yeast would have been distasteful to the people hearing the story, but actually that's what Jesus does. He takes distasteful things and he transforms them into something beautiful, doesn't he? That's what, he's, that's what we see within the church. That's the story of the gospel. That's a really quick run through those last two parables. Please discuss them further in your groups this week or whatever. But let's move on as we're pushed for time. The final parables I want to look at, uh, there's two of them. Um, they're going to be maybe two of my favourites in the whole Bible. Um, let's read together a really short couple of verses, um, 44 to 46. Let's have a look. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then, in his joy, went and sold everything he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. What a story, hey? See, in these parables, in these last two, Jesus is teaching us about the value of the treasure in both stories. The thing he describes is extremely valuable. In the first story, it's a person finding treasure in a field. And what we need to understand here is that in Jewish culture, okay, there was a lot of land, okay? People would own fields. That was quite a common thing. I don't know if anyone in Jubilee owns a field. It's not very common now, is it? We've got any field owners here? No, no, we don't own fields now, do we? we Carl would have one, but he's not here this morning. You know, um, we, we don't often own fields in our culture, but in Jewish culture, lots of people owned land. And quite a common thing to do in Jewish culture would be to bury your treasure, your valuable things, within your field. Because there were some kind of banks and things, but the idea of giving your money and trusting your money to someone else wasn't really the done thing back then. Instead of giving your money to someone else to look after, like a bank, you would bury it in your field in order to keep it safe. And Jewish custom would say, and this makes a bit of sense, that if you found treasure in a field, the treasure belonged to the person who owned the field. That makes sense, doesn't it? It means you can't go around digging up people's fields to get treasure. So the treasure uh, belongs to the person who owns the field. Well, in this story, we see someone stumbling across treasure in a field and he wanted to have this treasure so much that he would be willing to sell everything he had in order to buy the field and be the rightful owner of that treasure. All right? This was something valuable. Like, I can only imagine what was in that treasure chest that he thought, I want to sell everything to buy this field. And it's the same with the second story. In the second story, Jesus is being deliberate in using the example of a pearl. And pearls would have been extremely precious in that culture as well. They were a popular thing to collect in the Middle East. They would be found in the Red Sea or in the, in the Persian Gulf. People would go and search for oysters. And sometimes you would open the oyster and there inside the oyster would be a pearl. This was something of great value and great worth. And Jesus is very clever here because he's speaking right into the value system of the Jewish people. He was finding something which is most valuable to them and he's comparing it to the kingdom of God. He's saying, this is how valuable I am. Like notice what he says. He doesn't just say this is any other pearl. He didn't say that he found a little 
nice pearl. He says he found a pearl of great price. This is the pearl to beat all pearls. And he's saying that the kingdom of God, which he's bringing, is worth selling everything for. With both parables, Jesus is being extremely clear about the value of the two things. And that's the point, okay? Jesus is laboring his point. He's saying that that is how valuable the kingdom of heaven is. That's how valuable Jesus is. That should be our response to him. And what Jesus is doing is with these two different parables, he's talking about two different ways that people discover Jesus, that people come into a relationship with Jesus. See, the first man, he stumbles across the good news and then realizes how valuable it is. Do you notice that? And this can be the case for many people. You don't really look for Jesus, but you kind of stumble across him. This was my story. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I was looking for pretty girls in my teenage youth group. Like, and then I stumbled across Jesus. Like so many people, they don't go searching for Jesus, but they stumble across him. And then when they find him, when they find the truth, they think, actually, this is worth following. That, that was my story. And this can be the case for a lot of people. Like, they can seem so far away from God's. Um, and maybe you've got people like this, maybe you know people like this, you've been reaching out to them for years and years and years, and it's like, ah, oh man, why don't you just get it? Why don't you just listen? Why don't you just respond? You've tried explaining things in scientific terms. You might have bought them books written by cleverer people than you, but they still don't get the idea. And you sometimes maybe get a bit discouraged after that, don't you? You wonder, will they ever get saved? Will they ever meet Jesus? We can all feel like that. Well, this story is a source of encouragement for that. Because actually, um, people will stumble across the gospel. Let me give you a bit of a personal example here. This is a bit, a bit raw. But um, a few weeks ago, I got some wise encouragement from a couple of wise, um, I won't call them old, a couple of wise ladies in Jubilee, um, Shirley and, and Julie, okay, um, I'm going to call them old, definitely not, okay, um, a few weeks ago I invited my mum to, to church, a few of you probably saw her and probably spoke to her and, and met her, you know, she felt very welcome and my mum's been to church a few times, she's been to a few alpha sessions, we've had conversations for years and do you know what, as you know I've been praying for my mum for years and she literally is no closer to showing an interest in, in the gospel, like literally no closer um, and a few weeks ago, um, I invited her to church. Well, I didn't invite her. I tricked her into coming to church. Um, so Haley was working um, that Sunday, and I rang her and I went, oh, mum, my kids are a bit of a handful, and, uh, you know, I, I like to talk to people at church, so can you come and help me look after the kids, because Haley's not here. So I tricked her into coming along to church. And, you know, when she got here um, on a Sunday morning, I was like, yes, this is the morning that she's going to come. It was Alpha Sunday. It was a gospel message. I was like, this is the morning that she's going to come to know Jesus. And you know what? She showed even less interest than she ever has before. Like, literally not bothered. Like she sat on a phone. I saw her during the preaching. She was drawing a picture of a duck on one of our um, Jubilee cards. Like that's how interested she was. You know what I'm saying? And if I'm honest, like I was totally like gutted. Like I was so despondent. And on a Monday evening, I got to Alpha and I was chatting to Shirley and Juju as we were setting up. And they kind of asked, how, how did your mum find church? And I vented my frustration a little bit. And I said, oh, do you know what? She's not even bothered. And I kind of feel bad for tricking her into coming to church now. And that's when I got a bit of wisdom from, uh, from Shirley and Julie. They were like, no, no, this is, this is our advice. Don't ever feel guilty about inviting someone to church. Like, keep inviting her. Keep getting her to come to church, even if it's under false pretenses, because you never know when it's going to sink in. You never know when she's going to be open. 
And do you know, it's what I needed to hear. And it's what Jesus is saying in this story. Actually, you never know when someone's going to stumble across Jesus. You never know when someone's going to be ready to receive from him. And when that happens, we have to have confidence in the gospel. We've got to have confidence that he is willing to follow. And you know, that, that is like really important, like to know that there will be people who just stumble across them and we need to be prepared for that. We need to be prepared for people stumbling across him and, and, and suddenly get to a point in their life where they're open. It could be your neighbours, it could be your friends and they come to you one day and say, hey, tell me about Jesus. Like, I want to know about him. Like, I've had a dream or I've spoke to someone else or something's happened in my life and now I'm open. Like, that happens all the time. People stumble across Jesus. My question to you is, are you prepared for that happening? Are you prepared for people stumbling across Jesus and coming to you for the answer? Because you're what people see and relate to Jesus if you're a Christian. They'll come to you to find out about Jesus. Then with the second story, with the pearl, this isn't about stumbling across treasure. This is about searching for it and finding it. See, for some people, they go on a journey where they search and try and discover the meaning of life. They might look for different religions. They might look at different paths. They'll be searching for the meaning of life and they end up finding the truth in Christianity. They'll search lots of places and they'll eventually find the truth within Christianity. But the result is the same. Whether you stumble across it or whether you search for it, the result is the same. You give up everything to pay the price for this treasure. Because that's how it is with the Christian faith. When you discover Jesus... The search stops. You realise you don't need anything else. When you discover Jesus, you realise that he kind of stops us in our track and he says, hey, you don't need to search anymore. You don't need to look at religion. You don't need to look at morals and being the right type of person. You don't need to look at striving. You need to look at me. That's what happens. He's worth following. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you discovered Jesus for yourself? you discovered that treasure if you haven't i'd love to pray for you this morning and just tell you a little bit more about jesus look in both of these stories though there was a cost and we don't talk about this enough but there is a cost to following jesus there's a cost to following jesus when you become a christian priorities change life changes some relationships disappear some people don't want to know you anymore But let me say, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus, is worth it. He's worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. So following him costs, but he's worth it. He's literally so worth it. We need to be clear about that cost. Just this week, I was thinking about the cost. I was just like, there is a cost to following Jesus. Like, your priorities change, don't they? You don't have as much free time anymore. Like, having COVID at home, especially last Sunday, I was like, this is great. Like, Sunday morning, just chilling in my garden. There's a cost of following Jesus, isn't there? Life looks different. It will impact on free time, sometimes family time. But our priorities change when we become Christians. But let me tell you, it is worth it. It's the best decision that you'll ever make, isn't it? A lot of people would agree with me. And listen, you might be struggling to believe that at the moment as it becomes increasingly more difficult to follow Jesus. Because let's face it, society is a lot less Christian now, isn't it? Some of our beliefs cause offence now, don't they? Some of the things that we could say before, we can't say now. There's a cost 
to following Jesus. That is true, but he's worth it. For some of you, 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 you recognize this. Maybe you've had to leave homes because of your Christian faith. Maybe you can't return back to your nation that you were from because of your Christian faith, because of your love for Jesus. Maybe a lot of you have given up everything to follow him. You understand this cost. But Jesus is confident. He's saying that he is worth it. He'll never let you down. Whatever you give up to follow him is worth it. If I can get the band back up, that'd be great. We're, we're nearly done. Um, I just want to talk to another group of people uh, this morning. Maybe you're in a position at the moment where following Jesus is just feeling really, really tough for you. Maybe you're really feeling that cost at the minute. Maybe as I've been talking about a cost of discipleship, you, you're, you're sat there and you're thinking, yeah, I, I'm resonating with that. Like I'm feeling the cost. I don't know. Maybe it's... Uh, I don't know, maybe there's a situation in your life and you're thinking, I'm trying to follow Jesus, but it's difficult. I'm trying to follow him, but it's difficult. And, and you're, you're feeling that cost. Maybe you want to become a Christian. Maybe you want to follow Jesus, but you don't want to give up things. You think, actually, I, I don't want to give up that aspect of my life. Let me tell you that the, the cost is worth it. It really is. And if you're there this morning just thinking about a situation where you're struggling with that cost, can I just say, give it to God because he is worth it. Whatever it costs you, you'll get back. You'll get back in, in an infinite, infinite way. Fix your eyes on him. Listen, there's a reason Jesus puts these two, or these, these group of parables together, because he's talking about his kingdom spreading. He's talking about new believers. And it's talking about, you know, spreading seed and, 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 and the kingdom growing, but at the same time, it's talking about cost, and we need to be open to that. We need to know that actually there is a cost to following Jesus. We shouldn't be ashamed of that aspect of the gospel. It's really important. So I want to end this morning just with a couple of challenges, really. First of all, um, from the first parable, are you spreading lots of seed in lots of different places? Are you confident about sharing your faith? In your workplace, wherever it is you, you are during the day, are you confident about sharing your faith? If you're not, then... Ask, for God, ask God to help you. I pray for you this morning. Ask someone to pray with you and, and, and ask you to have confidence to share your faith. Do you have confidence in the gospel? From the second parable, are you expecting to see God's church grow? Are you excited about more people coming to church? Are you excited about this church growing? Are you excited about what God's going to do through Jubilee and Teesside as we, as we continue to look at building a church in Teesside? Does that excite you? Or do you get scared that the enemy is going to grow as well? God wants us to be excited about his church. If, if you've not got that excitement about the church growing, then I want you to just pray this morning as well. And, uh, and the final one, as I've already said, have you given up everything to follow Jesus? Or are you still holding on to something? Look, if you want to make that decision to follow Jesus this morning, just as a band sing, I'm going to be right at the front here. Please come and grab me. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for us and then we'll worship God together if that's all right. Now, God, I thank you so much for the amazing promises that we get in these parables, Lord, that your kingdom will advance, that your church will grow, Lord. I thank you so much. I thank you that we're seeing that across the world. We're seeing new believers every single day. We're seeing lives transformed every single day, and that's down to you. I thank you so much for that, Lord. But I also thank you that um, you do call us to give up things to follow you. You call us to um, search for that, 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 that pearl, that treasure, and give up everything to follow it. God, I want to pray for each of us this morning. Would you help us to take that seriously, Lord? If there's parts of our life we need to give to you, I pray that we do it, Lord. If there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't want to know you, but is just scared, I pray right now, would you give them courage, Lord? Give them courage to come to you, to give up things for this pearl of 
great price for this treasure that is worth it, Lord. So yeah, if that's you this morning, if you want to um, make that decision to follow Jesus, please just come and find me. Lord, I thank you. I love you. We love you so much. We love your kingdom. We love the amazing truth that we find in your word, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.